I'm Peter Solomon. You're tuned to Listener Driven Jazz 88. Mama Dig Down's Brass Band is a New Orleans-style ensemble started by a couple of University of Wisconsin students back in the mid-1990s. Friday night, they'll take the stage at the Parkway Theater in Minneapolis to share a billing with the Aki Burmese Trio and comedian Trish Cook. I caught up with Mama Dig Down co-founder Eric Jacobson. That conversation is coming up next here on Jazz 88. I'm Eric Jacobson, and I am the sousaphone player and co-leader of the band, co-founder of the band, along with uh, Rock Oli, who's a tenor player and the other co-leader, co-founder. So can you talk about the, the band's origins, like what brought about this brass band? <clears throat> so I would kind of trace it back to Washburn High School in my sophomore year, which would have been like 88 and we had a band teacher who had just arrived from detroit named donald washington who was a jazz saxophone player and he would have all of us kids who were in the jazz band come up to um, his office during our lunch period and he would play us jazz records you know he played us uh coltrane and sonny rollins um lee morgan miles davis and then he also he was really into kind of like free jazz avant-garde so he played us Ornette Coleman, Roscoe Mitchell. Also, he played us a Dirty Dozen Brass Band record, which was their first record called My Feet Can't Fail Me Now. Um, and that was one of the albums that I fell in love with. So that sort of ignited this kind of like brass band spark. Um, and then a couple years later, when I started college at the University of Minnesota, or University of Wisconsin, Madison, um, I found um, Rock Oli, who was uh, in the School of Music along with me. And I played him this, that stuff, and he fell in love with it too. So we decided to start the band. Well, my feet can't fail me now, my feet can't fail me now. So were you, you weren't a sousaphone player at that time though, were you? Yeah, I was a sousaphone. So my grandfather, my grandfather played tuba and sousaphone uh, in Albert Lee High School. And then both of his sons played um, also in Albert Lee. And then I inherited the tuba and the sousaphone for that from my grandfather. And so that's what, that's what I've been playing since a uh, fifth grade band at Field Elementary in, uh, in Minneapolis. Now the sousaphone has a special role in this musical tradition. I saw a Dirty Dozen Brass Band in 92 when I was at Michigan State. And okay. I mean, honestly, it was one of the most exciting concerts I'd ever seen. And everybody, <laughs> yes. I mean, it was in a recital hall, but everybody got up and danced. It didn't matter, like, you know, students, faculty, everyone was dancing. Yes. And I was like listening carefully to the sousaphone and it seemed like it was like the heartbeat and kind of the genesis of all the excitement. Can you talk about what appealed to you about the sousaphone and the way it's used in this brass band music? Yes, it, it's, su it's such a good point because up until that point, up until I heard brass band music and I started to play it, the tuba and the sousaphone, their lines are kind of boring and you're in the back of the, you know, I mean, I love marching band music, but it's boom, 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 boom. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden in brass band music, the sousaphone, especially with Kirk Joseph and the Dirty Dozen, because he's the one who really took this, um, he sort of created this 
um, way of playing. It's just really propulsive, and it, like you're right, it's the pulse of the band, and it's funky, and that's the thing that hooked me. You know, when I can see like this, I can see people dancing and responding to it. Um, that's what made me, you know, love it from the start, and it's so different than all the other ways that I played tuba before that. about the story about the first gig that the band played you were going to open for Kermit Ruffins this was in the article that you sent me oh yeah yeah so that so that wasn't our first gig but I, I will tell the story um we 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 were that was like kind of a few years into it probably about five years into the band but um in terms of how we got this gig at the Green Mill the story is is that we were going to play like at Rib Fest um, on a Saturday in Chicago, and I called Dave Gemelo, who owns the Green Mill, um, you know, the longest operating jazz club in the country. Anyway, I called him and I said, hey, I have this brass band and called Mama Dig Down's brass band. I see Kermit Ruffins is performing. We've seen him in New Orleans quite a few times. Could we open up for him? And, and we won't even charge anything. And we just kind of wanted to get in there. He said, nope, I don't have opening bands at the Green Mill. But if you'd like, I'll put you on the I'll put you on the guest list. So we decided, yeah, that would be great. And so we decided to go down to Chicago, you know, on a Friday night, the night before our gig. And so we arrive at the door and it's a packed club mm-hmm. and he he greets us and he said, do you in, in kind of a panic? Do you, do you happen? Do you happen to have your instruments with you? So, yeah, they're in the they're in the car. He said, go get them because Kermit's plane is stuck in St. Louis because of a tornado. So, and I, I need a band tonight. You got, you're hired. So um, we ran back to the car and, you know, of course, we're super excited. And uh, we ran back to the van and, and pulled out the horns and marched in from the back of the club. And the crowd went completely crazy. And we, uh, we've been playing there ever since. story so I, yeah. I i told that story to my wife and she's like yeah kermit ruffins just happened to disappear right <laughs> i'm sure they had nothing to do with yeah that. exactly <laughs> oh so sorry kermit we got your gig uh but we've been regulars at the club since then and honestly i don't know that i don't know that you know normally you know we probably it's a it's a hard club to play it's a hard club to get a gig in and uh you know now though now they're like family there and uh and we're very loyal to Dave and the club, and he's he's loyal to us. Um, and we've we've seen Kermit, we've seen Kermit in New Orleans a lot. We've always made a point to get to New Orleans um, as often as we can. I, I as a band, we've been there, you know, more than fifty times. And uh, anyway, we've told Kermit that that story before, and he he got a kick out of it. Well, and and speaking of that, so you're a band from Wisconsin, and you mm-hmm. managed to kind of developed this band that plays music in the brass band tradition very authentically and it seems that you've been accepted by the new orleans musicians too can you talk about that like how do you go about starting a new orleans style brass band when you're not based in new orleans by a long shot 
from the start, like right away in the, like in the second year of the band, we started traveling to New Orleans to listen to brass band and to really kind of study it and absorb as much as we could um, on our trips. So we would, all of us would pile into the band van and go down there during Mardi Gras or go down during Jazz Fest, French Quarter Fest, and um, bring our horns. We had already done the homework by learning learning all the albums, learning the solos on the albums. And so when we arrived, the brass band musicians in New Orleans knew that we took it seriously. Bands would ask us to sit in. And then, you know, when our guys would get up on stage, like our guys knew the songs and knew the style of playing. It wasn't just a matter of playing the notes, but like, what is it about the way that they play? And so... You know, we loved it. That's all we listened to. Sometimes I feel like I missed a chunk of other pop culture and jazz that was going on because at the time, like, I and the rest of the band were so absorbed in brass band music, that's like all we listened to. So we got it. And then we would go down for these festivals and bands, uh, you know, Rebirth, New Birth, Hot Eight, Stooges, they're all looking for, you know, subs to play on their shows and all of, you know, we would get hired for Mardi Gras parades or private parties or club gigs. So that's how we did it. YouTube has really changed things where it's kind of helped brass band music spread outside of New Orleans. Because you can get it on YouTube, I think people are less likely to travel there to listen to it. Mm -hmm. And I think something is lost when you're watching a video versus like going there. You know, we've been, we've as a band, we've been there 50 plus times. And I would say that's the secret sauce of us being able to play like we do. Right. Sort of being accepted into that world is because we just, we, we spent the time observing and participating in the culture down there. Is there anything else you want to say in front of your appearance at the, um, at the Parkway Theater? No, we're just, we're, we're, really, we're really thrilled to be at the Parkway. It's one of our favorite venues. It's great because it's right in the heart of South Minneapolis where I, you know, I've driven, I live close by the theater and driven past there a thousand times. And when I was a band geek at, uh, at Field and Anthony and Washburn, I never would have thought that I would have ended up playing in this, uh, this theater and, and having a band that traveled as much as we do. Thanks so much, Eric. It's a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it, Peter. That's Eric Jacobson, a sousaphonist and co-founder of Mama Dig Down's Brass Band. They're playing at the Parkway Theater Friday evening, sharing a building with the Aki Burmese Trio and comedian Trish Cook. For Jazz 88, I'm Peter Solomon.